Uh, we come to Malachi chapter 2, verses 10 through 16, and this is uh, a discussion about marriage, specifically two very specific things, what it means to have an unlawful marriage and what it means to have an unlawful divorce. And so I want to be very, very sensitive and hopefully very gentle this morning. I know that probably uh, the majority of us in this room, if not all of us, have been touched by divorce in some way, whether we're children of divorce, whether someone in our family or extended family, friends that have gone through divorce. Um, so we want to be very sensitive to those that have walked through this process um, but we also want to make sure that we're speaking the truth. And so I can't just skip over this passage. Um, but I want to, to make sure that you know, and I'm aware of that one, um, this isn't something, this isn't the unforgivable sin. Okay. And Jesus does uh, allow for people to stand in the gap. Um, and God it does not leave us to our own devices. He provides people to come in and minister. And there were many godly men uh, that came into my life. And, and was it the same as a father? No. But um, there were men that I owe part of my life to and give away my heart to. But if you're single or if you're a little bit older, you might say, well, I don't have to worry about this. Lies, all lies. This is relevant to everyone. It's relevant because we have interaction with each other. We have the ability to speak truth to one another. We have the ability to be a part of each other's uh, lives. So, and I want you to think of this. Remember, this is the last book of the Old Testament. And so God's about to go silent for about 400 years. He's about to go silent. And yet he takes this opportunity and he says, this is so important that I want this written down for the church because of the next thing that happens is Jesus comes. So please don't take what I'm about to say lightly. Please know I'm trying to be sensitive and very gentle. But again, I have to speak truth where truth is being preached. So hear these words of the Lord this morning. Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you had been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife, but divorces hers, says the Lord, the God of Israel covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, a hard passage for many, and it has impacted probably all of us in this room. And so, Father, I'm so grateful that you're a God who loves us. And that is the most important thing for us to understand is 
As Ed read for us earlier from Deuteronomy 7, Lord, you choose to love us because you love us because you love us. And you don't let us go. And so, Father, maybe for some of us, call us back. Maybe we're at this point, maybe we're thinking about leaving the one we love. But, Father, for those of us who are here, Lord, we need to be reminded of that mystical union that Jesus has with the church, that he is the one who's always faithful, always good, always perfect. And so, Father, it's to him that we run back to and not from, and it's to him that we look to give all glory and honor. So, Father, give us eyes to see and hearts to understand this passage. Allow the Spirit to move. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So the first thing we're going to look at this morning is the marriage covenant. The marriage covenant. Now, if we're honest, the first thing we have to ask is, who created marriage? Is this a God thing? Or is this a man thing? Now, if it's a man thing, and man was the one who created marriage, then man gets to pick the rules. But it's a God thing, and God is our creator... God is our Father. God is our Savior. So God is the one who gets to make the rules for us. And this was a creation ordinance, which means this was given to us before the fall. And so God came in and said, this is what marriage should be. It should be between a man and a woman, and the two shall become one. And this is a representation of what the gospel message should be in one of the ways that God uses And so God comes in with this creation ordinance, and because he is the creator of of marriage, he is the creator of all things, he is the one who has the right to make the rules and the laws to govern us. And so God comes in and he says, I want you to understand that you enter into a covenant, not a contract. See, a contract happens between two people. And a lot of times contracts are easily made and easily broken. They happen all the time. Our courts are filled with people with broken contracts. And so with contracts, they're easily made, easily broken. And there's also a sense where forgetfulness in regards to the contract, what is it, what what is my portion? What do I have to do? And when it becomes forgetfulness, it becomes faithlessness. And so contracts are easily broken and forgotten. So God doesn't put us into a contract. When he puts us into a marriage, he puts us into a covenant. And that's why you have this title, the three become one. Because it's not just between two people. It's between those two people and God as their witness. It's the understanding of covenant in scripture where it says that the covenant is a cutting in blood. Okay, remember where um, Abraham and they go and they go out to cut a covenant. And so they go out and they take the animals and they cut the animals in half and they put them on two sides and they have the blood run down to the middle. And what in essence they're saying is if I break this covenant, this is what should happen to me. So you break a contract. Hey, maybe pay some money. Hey, maybe you have to claim bankruptcy. You break a covenant. It's death. And so when God entered and he walked through it, he says, I'm the one who's going to be faithful. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never be the one to walk away from this relationship. Now, Abraham, being wise on his part, said, there ain't no way I'm walking through that. 
because I know my heart. And so there had to be sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice done on our behalf until we find ourselves with Jesus. It's why Jesus, and this is very important for us to understand the Lord's Supper, when he says, this is the new covenant found in my blood, Jesus had to shed his blood. He had to pay. He had to be died. He had to die. He is those pieces. Because he says, God, you've been faithful, but where mankind has been unfaithful, I now pay the price. And I pay it by my life and I pay it by my blood. So that they can have, listen, a right relationship with God. So we don't grovel in here. And I want you to understand that because, again, I think in America we don't have this this concept. But we come before the God of the universe who by his voice can destroy this whole world. That's the God we come into. And we shouldn't come in going, hey, what's up, homeboy? How you doing, man? Good to see you, Jesus. We should have the ability to figure out that we should be coming in here on our hands and knees into his presence and saying, I don't deserve to be here. And Jesus says, Jesus says, because I gave my life, you walk into the father's presence as sons and daughters of the king. So this is a serious Serious thing that God puts before us when he says, when I put the marriage covenant together, let no man put asunder. So I also want you to understand as we look at this passage, it's not going to answer every question about marriage. It's not going to tell you what is okay for divorce. That's not the part of the passage we're looking at. We're only looking at these two very specific things that God talks to us. And then what's the application to us today? So the first thing we're looking at is that he talks about an unlawful marriage. So I want you to, first of all, understand that it's an issue of worship. Marriage is an issue of worship. Now, why do I say that? Because it's not about race. It's not about ethnicity. You can marry whatever color. You can marry from whatever nation. God didn't say you can't marry from that. He didn't say you have to be limited to this. He says you have to be limited in regards to what? Worship and not idolatry. And so he comes in. um, It's a passage that we read already. Deuteronomy 7 verses 3 through 4. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. And then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and he will destroy you quickly. But it doesn't end just in the Old Testament. This isn't just an Old Testament thing. He goes into the New Testament in 2 in Corinthians chapter 6. He says this, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? So there's not an unequally yoked. It didn't, wasn't good in the Old Testament. It's not good in the New Testament. Now why is that? Well, he gives us the principles. He gives us the understanding. The first thing I want to do is give you an illustration. Um, Some of you that are a little bit older would have remembered this. That happened out in Idaho in 1976. There was a a dam that broke, right? It was the Teton Dam. But what happened is it happened literally within a few hours, the big dam break, okay, to where three cities were wiped out in the course of just a few hours, 
But what happened is as they did the, the study on it, there were seepages that were already happening. So they were already finding cracks and crevices that were filling with water on the other side. So it was destined for doom. They just weren't aware of it. Now, the same thing happens in regards to us. There's, if there's a spiritual erosion that's going on, if there's compromising that's happening with us spiritually, then it's going to affect our marriages. Now, think about this in regards to the vertical relationship with God. Remember, we've already studied the time ahead of this where the priests were accepting false um, things coming in to put on the altar. They were bored with worship. They were snorting at things. They were trying to do their own lives. They were trying to, they were stealing even to, to give money to the church. I mean, how bad is that that you steal from somebody else to give money to the church? So all these things are going on. Now, let me ask this question. If you think they're doing that to the God who created them, what do you think they're going to do for you? One of the things that sometimes it frustrates me because I have money tied up in things. But there's a question I always ask. If there's a non-Christian who's running my 403, why would I expect him to be doing everything so that I make a lot of money? Now, again, I know there's rules and there's laws and there's all that kind of stuff. But we live in a day and an age where the government is asking our institution, our banking institutions to tell them when we are taking money in and putting money in and taking money out. (laughs) You think your money is safe? If, If they're not Christians, if they're not giving to the glory of God... If they don't hold things of value, what makes you think that they're going to feel bad when they take your money, when they kill your children, when they take over your education? They don't. And so we have to be very, very mindful that if the relationship vertically is not right, then the horizontals aren't going to be right. And it's the same thing. It begins to affect our marriages. The person who looks at God and snubs at God, what do you think he's going to do to his own spouse? And so what happens is we've got to make sure that we're not ignoring God's precepts. And God tells us very clearly, clearly as we start spending time with him, then our fellowship begins to, to crack. We have to go back to him. Jesus has to be first and foremost. And if Jesus isn't first, then what happens is we start seeing that they're going to start being pulled. It happens because what happens here is what the scripture says. We start going after idols. There are foreign gods that are happening. Remember, God tells us very clearly from Genesis 2, 24, that we're supposed to become one flesh, one spirit. Everything about us is supposed to become one. Look at Genesis 2, 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. It's to make sure that we have a stable foundation in all areas, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And once there's a stable foundation, then we are able to start to grow together. We are able to live together. But when there is a problem, then what happens is we start to go after foreign gods. And what happens there is because we know that there's different worldviews. There's different, different purposes in life. 
What are you here for? Are you here to glorify and honor God? I'm here to make a lot of money and be happy. Well, that doesn't seem like we're on the same page. And so what happens is we begin to to start compromising. There's a true story for those who remember Mark Twain and his wife, Olivia. Mark Twain was on a cruise. He met her younger brother, got to be friends, came and met her, um, fell in love with her by her picture. And he started to talk to her for a couple of weeks while they were up in New York. And she said this, I don't want to have anything to do with you because you're not a Christian, but I'll be about trying to create you to be a Christian. And he said, okay, fine. Let's keep writing letters back and forth. And I'm going to tell you, Miss Olivia, you're going to fall in love with me into marriage. And she does. And this is after her wealthy father goes and asks the people, his friends, because he's, he's from out west, remember? She's from back east. She's wealthy. He's a drunkard. And his friends are saying as much. Mark Twain's all about Mark Twain. And you need to know that. And the parents say, well, marry him anyways. And so this woman who, want, who wasn't going to have anything to do with him, who was going to make him into a Christian, finds herself marrying this man, and then she walks away from the church. It doesn't just happen just here in America. Remember Solomon? I mean, Solomon, remember, listen, he has all the wealth in the world. He has all the fame in the world. He has all the wisdom in the world, and that's still not enough. So he goes after all these women. And so what does he do at the end of his life? He starts building all these altars to all these false gods. If we are unequally yoked, there is going to be compromise. And it doesn't matter if people start saying this, well, it's okay for you to go to church. I'm not hostile to to church or to Jesus. You go and do what you want to do. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. So you go to church, I'll stay home. Let me ask you, can that person therefore say God is at the center of their life? Is God or the Trinity, is it the deepest longing of that relationship? No, what happens is hearts begin to go after idols and we leave the God that we love. And it has consequences because we try to find security and significance in those idols. Whatever they might be, and they can be good things. They could be family. And I've seen people who say, well, I will do anything for family. Will you give up this? Oh yeah, I'd give up that for my family. What about careers, money? And those aren't things aren't bad in and of themselves, but they have to be done in a proper order. They cannot become the most important thing in your life. God has to be. And so we have to make sure that there's no compromise in regards to unlawful marriages. But then he goes to a second point. He says there cannot also be unlawful divorce. Now, he starts off by saying, this is the the woman of your youth, and it's a companion. Now, I want you to understand that word companion um, as we go forward. So here's what's going on. They're divorcing the wives of their youth, and they're divorcing, divorcing for personal gain. Now, we don't know if these are the same people that are divorcing their wives and then marrying the foreign women. Could be from the way that the passage is written. It could be. So these men could be saying, hey... um, 
I know how to get ahead in this world. I need to marry a foreign woman. So I'm going to divorce my, my woman of uh, Israel descent, and I'm going to marry this foreign woman so that I can get ahead in life. It doesn't have to be that, though. It could be just simply they're divorcing for whatever reason. Whatever the reason the world wants, whether it's we look at it and go, well, this person just isn't pretty enough anymore. This person just doesn't have the, the, the right beauty. He did, she doesn't have the right, um, she doesn't come from the right family. She doesn't have whatever, fill in the blank. Now, I want you to understand that, again, this covenant marriage that he entered into with this woman, he's called, she's called a companion. And the understanding there is a best friend. Now, I want you to understand that in the scripture, this is, this is unheard of. Because women at this point in time are thought to be pieces of property. So that's why a man could very easily divorce the woman. Because it's his to do with whatever he wanted to do. But the scripture says this is the companion. This is the best friend of your youth. So scripture was already talking about something that was unique. And listen, the woman who you marry, the man that you marry should be the one and only person that you share your heart with. They should be your best friend. It's not your mother. It's not your father. It's not your siblings. It's not friends that you grew up with. It is your spouse. That's the only one you share your heart with. Because to go outside of Scripture brings consequences. And he says, this is the companion of your youth. They have walked through life with you. They have given everything to you. Share everything with them. They are not property. And so this is the command that he brings. And he says, I want you to take heed, which means that we're not supposed to listen to what the world has to offer. One of the best things in regards to to marriage, I took a marriage class at at Covenant College. And Dr. Cromendam said a couple of things. One thing that really made a difference to me was he says, most of you are playing with somebody else's spouse. And I wanted you to think of that very carefully. That the person you are dating at this moment is probably not the person you're going to marry. So you're messing with somebody else's spouse. Two, he said, you better be in love with who they are and not what they look like. Because he he gave this example. It's still very clear to me. I, I can still see him giving it. He said, what would happen if your spouse was in a horrible accident and they were maimed? Would you begin to love them less? And he says, if you can answer yes to that, then you're not in love and don't get married. How many of us have seen people when they feel like their spouse is getting just a little bit older, a little bit wider, a little bit less in regards to money, a little bit less in whatever. We start looking at things that are better, better options, better opportunities. See, God's saying is take heed, don't listen to the world. And he talks about the professors and, and those who are, are, think that they're wise according to the earth. 
And he says, why would you chase after blind teachers? Blind leading the blind is not a good thing. So he says, keep watch. Don't break faith that I've established with you beforehand. Don't break the faith. But there's also consequences to our sin. Because what's happening here in this passage is the people are coming back. And so they're going through these divorces. They're having this marriage kind of stuff. And then they want to come before God. And they're saying, hey, I want you to bless my sin. And God says, I don't hear you. I don't hear you. Because I don't have your whole heart. Remember, God's very clear. He says, "I, I, I don't want... I don't want your sacrifices. I want your heart. I want it all. I want your focus to be upon me and me alone. I want that to be what drives you. And so when we begin to start putting other things in place and we say, hey, God, please bless my sin. He says, I I don't hear you. It'd be very, very clear here um, because God, listen, he calls this an abomination. He calls it treason. You know what he else calls in in the scripture? Witchcraft. He calls us things that we would look at and go, man, that's really bad. But in our day and age, we go, ah, someone's divorce is not a big deal. God hates divorce. Now again, please, please hear me. Don't, Pastor Jeff's beating us up. No. It's not the unforgivable sin, remember? And those who have gone through divorce, there is hope. There is restoration, but there is a heeding that we need to take, and we need to listen to what God has to say to us in the Scripture very clearly. And he says, this is what could be affected. Your children. You don't think I was confused growing up? My dad telling me one thing? Hey, Jeff, don't, don't get any girls pregnant, but if you do... Hey, Jeff, you might find yourself in these kind of relationships. Hey, if you do, and then my mom's saying, no, listen to what the church has to said. You need to make sure that you love God and you need to marry a Christian woman. Sometimes in the same week. Who's right? Well, depending on the week. Right? I wanted to do what I wanted to do. wanted to get the things my dad wanted to do. And you know, a part of else what my dad did? Because he was the one who had the money. So when did I get to go to Disney World? With my dad. Mom didn't have money. So I wanted to have fun, wanted to be about me. Who did I hang out with? My dad. Let me ask you, who did my dad think about? Himself. I remember very clearly this, this phone call. Call my dad. Hey, Dan, I, want, I just want to talk to you. Catch up. Did you talk to Graceland, your stepmother? First of all, she's not my mom. She's your wife. And I was cordial. I called to talk to you. Don't ever call me again. Dad, come on. We went to Disney. You gave me all this advice. You hang up. You don't think divorce has consequences? You don't think your marriage speaks volumes? 
Take heed. Take heed. But there's always, always the gospel. And that's where he leaves us because what he gives to us is he gives to us that perfect example of the mystical union between Jesus and the church. Because our marriages should be lived in such a way that when people see our marriages, they see Jesus. They see us ask for forgiveness. They see us putting them in the right place where it's God first, then our spouse, then our family, then our jobs. And it's lived out that way. And our children see it. And the people around us see it. And when, they, when we live our marriages in such a way that they get a false picture of who Jesus is, then that's on us. But God gives us the opportunity to live towards him so that our marriages might be an example, which means we have to fight for our marriages. We have to fight for the marriages that are around us. We have to say hard things to people. Quit looking at this. Quit trying to look and compare this person to another person. Quit talking about your private lives to other people. Talk to your spouse. Be open. Listen, I tell this to everybody. I don't care if they're 96 or they're 16 looking to go into a relationship. Date each other all the time. I'm not saying go and spend time with one another. That's easy. Date one another. Learn one another. Grow in knowing who each other is. Communicate. Quit having conversations in your own head. Quit answering for other people. You have a problem? Go talk to that person. God knows what he's talking about. He put these rules into place for us so that things might work. So I can say, hey, Jim, I have a problem with this. And Jim goes, well, let's figure it out. As compared to me going and saying, hey, Charlie, let me talk to you about what Jim is doing. Oh, that's really bad. I know. I, I can't stand it. Talk. Communicate. Listen to one another. Reconnect. If your marriage feels like it's so split, reconnect somehow. If it needs to be on a marriage retreat, do a marriage retreat. If you need to go to counseling, go to counseling. Reconnect together. Begin praying together, for goodness sakes. Just spend time praying together. Spend time communicating over the meal. Talk to the family. But pastor, you don't know. I, it's right, I don't know, but Jesus does. God does. And he says, fight for your marriage. Fight. Because it is an example. But also for, to remind us that God is always faithful. And I hope you believe that. I truly do. I hope you really believe that he, he never leaves us nor forsakes us. Never. 
And he loves us so intimately that he gives to us forgiveness, mercy, and grace. You know, one of the the really cool things about God, and something that frustrates me about myself, is God, when he says, I have, when we repent and and we go to him, we confess and repent, he says, I remember your sin no more. That's a really cool thing. Because I can go back to him and say, hey, Jesus, remember when I did this? And he goes, nope. I wish we could do that for each other. But we don't. We start saying things like this. I'm not going to get burned again. I'm not going to trust that person again. I'm not going to forgive that person again. When we start saying things like that, then we miss the gospel. Especially in our marriage relationships. That should be the greatest part in all of our lives where we can go to the person who's supposed to know us the most intimately and to confess our sin to them and hear to them say to you, you're forgiven and it's washed away. Remember no more. I want you to finish hearing these words from 1 Corinthians 13. And it's not just lovey-dovey, romantic words, but they're words that are true. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, nor does it boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things and endures all things. Love never fails. So what's our application? There's always time to repent and be restored. If you are a single person and you are looking to be married and you want to be married, and I understand that during my day and age, if you didn't get married by the time that you graduated from college, there was something wrong with you. And then you're thinking, my goodness, if I haven't gotten married by now, how am I going to? And this is before all the internet and chats and all that stuff. Pay phones still worked. So you're thinking, if I didn't get married by now, how is God ever going to take care of me? So maybe I just need to compromise. Maybe I just need to settle. God is saying to you, don't settle. Wait for the Christian person who loves God more than you. Then enter into a relationship with him. I can tell you this, it is far better to wait and find the person who loves God more than anything than to be with the wrong person for a lifetime. I can tell you that as for a fact. So listen to the words that God says. And it doesn't give an age limit. If you're a widow and you want to be married, maybe God has a spouse for you. It's okay. You don't age out. But find the right one. 
For those of you who are in a marriage relationship, fight. Fight with all you have. And when you are in problems, call your elder. Drag them into your relationship. Let them know and understand and be a part of your life. If you're really desperate, call me. But I can guarantee you this. I will fight alongside of you for that which is glorifying and honoring to God. I can promise you that. But more than anything, be thankful that God gave us Christ as our husband to the church. And he loves us perfectly. And he gives to us his righteousness so that we can be joined to him perfectly now and forever. And one day, when we're perfect and we're in the new heavens and the new earth, we get to be with him forever, for all time, perfectly known, nothing hidden. It's not going to be a good day. It's going to be a great day. Don't you look forward to the Lord's Supper? That one wedding supper of the Lamb. You think you've partied here on earth? Whew. Guys, just wait. Wait. Because we'll not be disappointed. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know this is hard. Lord, I am still so messed up. So messed up from my parents' divorce, messed up from friends' divorces. But you are the redeemer. You are the one who restores. You are the one who fixes all things. You bring people and you fill the gaps, whether it be for husbands or wives, children, grandchildren. You fill the gap with godly men and women who are part of the extended family of God. You are not forgetful, and you do not punish us. You discipline us so that we might live in such a way that you are glorified and honored in all things. Lord, our marriages, our worship, our personal lives, and our public lives, may you be all and in all and to all that great gospel message. So, Father, take us, use us, and, Lord, always let us run back to you, the one who is the creator and who can fix all things. For that's where we have our only hope and the only place where we'll ever be safe and secure. So, Father, thank you for that. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.